Hey everybody, I am Scott McBean. And I am Teresa McBean. We are bringing you a North Star podcast, which we've been doing for a while now. This is going to be a special post-holiday edition. It is not going to be a message recap. We are going to have a free-flowing conversation about the holidays, holiday relationships, uh, what they do to us, etc. We'll see where it takes us. We don't really know. And then uh, next week, you will get a recap of the message that happened on, I guess it was the last weekend of December, yeah. whatever those dates ended up being. Yeah, I really liked that message, even though right at this moment, I can't remember. Oh, I do remember what we talked about. Yeah, it was a good one. You better yeah. remember it because we're going to have to record that one later. Three-layer cake. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yep. All right, so one of the things that I always notice uh, at North Star is that our attendance spikes after the holidays. Hmm. Well, we'll see if that's true this weekend. And I have a couple of guesses as to why that is. One is New Year's resolutions, you know, getting back in. One is pre-holidays, everybody's busy, and there's too much to do to get it all in. Um, but I think three is the most significant. What do you think three is? I think three is people get really out of sorts when they go back and spend time with their families. Yeah. Um, I think that's why next week when we start our women's group, we, we did the for the first time in the history of women's group, we took two Wednesdays off. Okay. In a row. Um, and um, I did it because it was holiday time, but I also really did it because I wanted us to have a distinctive reset break, which I know this is off the subject, but anyway, stay with me. Sure. Um, and next, and I've been working on the curriculum for that for a long time. Um, and the first thing I'm going to be doing next week is talking about triggers. Okay. So I think your three point is uh, we get triggered when we go back into family systems a lot of times. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, whatever sort of recovery capital that you build up during the year, if you've built up any, um, it's sort of like the rug gets pulled out from under you when you go back and spend time in a what is often an unsafe environment for people in recovery um, or maybe a less healthy environment um, or whatever. Or just a different environment than what you've been doing and working in all year. So it's sort of like, um, I don't know, I can imagine if you were an athlete and you were training and you were used to training in a particular environment, the environment changes. There's some things that it's going to show up, some stuff from your training that doesn't show up in the same environment. You can control your environment except when you go home sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it is. I maybe don't want to speculate on it, but I think a lot of people in recovery just have difficult family relationships, yeah. right? And, and I don't even think that's specific to people in recovery. I think family relationships in particular are always more difficult than friendships. You don't pick your family, as they always say. And so that means you have to do 
you either have to do some work to stay connected or to get connected. Uh, but that's complicated by the fact that you, you know, a lot of your most negative experiences are tied to your family just because, and part of that's just because growing up, you spent, you know, you spend way more time with your family than you spend with anybody else, right? right? And so you're right. going to have, just by virtue of that, uh, your lowest lows are going to come from your family in many, in many cases. That's not exclusively the case because of the fact that you've spent so much time there. And in many cases, your highest highs are going to have come from, from family things as well. Um, but uh, Life here is on a game. Right. My family has an has our family has a has a running joke that the the best thing they ever did was this going to see UVA play Arizona at uh, when uh, UVA had a new basketball stadium and um, I was in California at the time so I was not able to be there so the greatest family memory that everybody has is the one time I was absent so yeah 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 that's sort of that you know and and to sort of broaden the the scope a little bit. I don't even think you have to be a particularly unhealthy family. I just think that families are complicated. Right. And you add into that expectations. Mm -hmm. And you add into the fact that just because your DNA is similar, it doesn't mean your values are going to be similar, your interests are going to be similar. And that's kind of weird, right? You've got this high level of connection, Mm -hmm. maybe even intimacy, not yep. necessarily, for a couple of decades of your life. And then you may find out 10 or 15 years later, I have lost all common ground with these people that I spent most of my or all of my early life with. And yep. that's disconcerting. Yeah. And um, I think while I think the expectations point is a particularly good one, because while I think that a lot of the triggers happen around family, around the holidays, it's often not necessarily, uh, I mean, it certainly can be about the family itself, but it's also about um, something that would happen regardless, which l- let me just say when I'm, I'm doing, I'm trying to overqualify here, but what happens around the holidays is it's supposed to be a happy, joyous time, right? I mean, that's what well, that's what the commercials tell us and the Hallmark movies tell us, right? Well, yes, I said supposed to be, not yeah. is. Right. And so what happens is, is I think every year you sort of build up this idea that this is going to be, <clears throat> I don't know if people build up the idea or not, but there's this idea that the normal family is going to have a good time, right? And that's where the Hallmark movies and the commercials come into play. You wake up on Christmas morning, the kids have great gifts and they love their gifts and you get what you wanted and yada, yada, yada. And, and families together and being together is so special. And you're going to have that food that you only have once a year and you have these traditions, but rarely does any of that actually go according to plan. None of it goes according to the commercial. Some maybe, and, and, and But you can get some famous, great one-liners, which you can remember Right, and then when you retell it, it gives you this nostalgic feeling. What do you mean, one? What what one-liners are well, you talking about? Well, I am sitting here smiling with nostalgia at some of our funniest family moments, um, and yet they were just moments in the course of, of you know, a, a 
festivities, they're just normal festivities. There's conflict, there's disappointment, stuff doesn't fit. Yeah. You know, all that stuff happens. But what gets recounted and remembered are those famous one-liners. Like, do you have a famous one-liner from this Christmas that you remember? Anything that'll uh, well, stand in mind? Sure. I when you said one liners, I didn't know you were talking specifically about our family. I thought you were talking about just sort of Christmas in general. So I was trying to figure out what you meant. But no, um, specific to our yeah, family. So and Christian, I think that's our, true. Uh, my nephew, um, Teresa's grandson, Christian, opened up a present. He loves doing yard work with his grandfather Pops. And in particular he likes playing with the lawnmower, the leaf blower, the weed whacker. And is there another one that's in the a mix? Rake. And the wheelbarrow. Rake and the wheelbarrow. Yeah. So they, they got him a toy Black & Decker leaf blower. And um, he he opened it up and, and um, after spending a minute trying to figure out what it was, he said, I can't believe it's a leaf blower. Yeah. Uh, and he was excited as can be. And fortunately, we got it on video. And uh, my brother's face is pretty priceless when, he, when Christian <laughs> says that. Well, and let's go back a, a whole nother generation to his mother's famous one-liner at about the same age when she announced on December 23rd that the only thing she wanted for Christmas was a pearl ring, right, mm-hmm. which no one had ever heard before. And her uncle Gary, my brother-in-law, went out and found her a pearl ring. And when she opened it up, she goes, oh, my pearl ring. She puts it on her hand and she goes, it could have been larger. (laughs) Yeah, it could be a little bit bigger. But, you know, these are the things that we tell and retell as if they were the only moments. And I bet every family has that. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I think we were particularly lucky to have uh, lower conflict uh, holidays than uh, than some, and it, it kind of depended on who we were with and where we were and that kind of thing. But yeah. I think we were, I think we were, uh, fairly, I think we've always been fairly lucky, uh, in some, in some ways, but, um, yeah, anyway, I, I think the overall point being that expectations, I think, rarely meet reality. Yeah. And one of the things I think, you know, families in recovery, uh, depending on the on the situation and, and who the identified patient is and that kind of thing, you are sort of floating in and out of denial about the nature of the condition. And I think that um, the whole expectations versus reality thing is something that goes on the whole year, but it gets magnified around Christmas. Yep, that's definitely like, true. You know, you've got somebody who, who maybe needs to be in recovery from a substance use disorder who isn't quite in recovery or is flirting with the idea of recovery. And it's it's something that's explicitly on the table now uh, when it was something that was ignored for a long time. And so you start thinking, it's going to be better this time. Yeah. You know, and I, I think that's one of the, regardless of whether or not your family's in recovery, I think if you've had difficult holidays, you, you, uh, it's tempting to think it's going to be better this time. Yeah, especially, I think, and I think this is a big point for families kind of new in recovery. You've blamed the tension and the conflict on the substance use disorder for so long that you think that if somebody's in recovery, that's not going to happen. And I, I am told by families for whom um, they have had this experience that actually that the holiday the first year somebody was sober was extremely hard. Mm-hmm. 
Because it's just a, a totally new dynamic to yeah. adjust to. Yeah, new dynamic and things weren't magical. Mm-hmm. And the person uh, new to recovery, uh, if they're actively working a program, probably is much more boundaried in their celebrations. And that just feels weird to the family. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I in fact, I had somebody tell me yesterday, met him for coffee, and somebody said to me yesterday, I can't believe it. We have put up with this person in their impaired state for so long. And this holiday season, they spent more time with their AA buddies than they did with us. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they were hurt, they were mad, they were confused. Um, and it took a little while to come back around to, yes, and you're also grateful. And you didn't have to bail anybody out of jail this holiday season. Right. You know, we got around to that point, but that wasn't where they were. And, you know, we're, we're yeah. more than a week post-Christmas. The assumption there would be that sobriety is going to bring with it connection. Yes. And that um, sobriety is going to mean restored relationship. Yeah, instant. Like fairly instantaneous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's often not the case. And in fact, sobriety, I I would think, based on a lot of the conversations we've had over the years in, in such circumstances as this, means there's a lot of stuff that we can now begin to work through. You right. know, we can start having conversations about things that we didn't have before because the way we were because the way the the person with the substance use issue was handling it was numbing right and so so now you're in the awkward position of you're grateful the person's sober and in the process of recovering their life if that's a i don't know if that's a fair phrase to use or not but um but now we have to start dealing with our relational baggage. It's no longer out of sight, out of mind. And I think that families are often caught off guard by the fact that there are these things. Oh, I think so, because they've been able to be distracted by it's just the substance. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another... Which isn't to say that they caused, you know, as always, it's not to say that they caused the problem. Right. But it's just that, you know, there are always problems in relationships, whether you have a substance use issue or not. Right. And if they're not spoken about, they can cause, uh, they can cause, you know, unexpected all, man, havoc. all manner of madness and yeah. mayhem. Yeah, exactly. The other thing, which I think is the flip side of that, which is equally problematical, is if somebody wants to start dealing with the underlying issues early on in sobriety and the person early on in recovery isn't ready to deal with those issues yet. Um, you know, it, the number one thing that I see families do early on in recovery that, that I, that I want to <laughs> eradicate is this expectation that the, that you go, the person goes to treatment, they come home, all is well, rather than the advice we've been given, which seems to me to be true, is instead of rushing that process, think about the first year as the year that, that somebody is committing to figure out how to live sober. Mm -hmm. 
So you may be 18 months, two years, three years down the road before the person really, and that's presuming they continue to work a program, is ready to deal with those issues. So there may be some distancing that has to take place, some disconnecting. I can see how that would be disappointing, especially to parents. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you want a, a healthy uh, a healthy sense of readiness. Yes. Know, and, and preparedness. Yes, I just, I just am calling to mind several cases where I think that a young adult relapsed and I could see a correlation uh, between them living with the pressure of the expectations of their larger family, get back in grad school, get a job with benefits, mm-hmm. uh, live up to your potential. And I'm like, no, dude, right now the potential is maybe not even being able to handle a full-time job because that first year you're really trying to right. figure out how to manage recovery. Take a long view. Yeah. One of the other, I mean, so, I mean, I think we have this whole expectations versus reality thing. Um, and one of the um, other things I think that happens is when you see the discrepancy between expectations and reality for so long, then you start to dread the holidays. Like, I think there's Mm -hmm. a number of people uh, in our community who now, the holiday season starts coming, and it's like, they they know it's not going to go well for them. Mm, Yeah, very good point. And so their expectation becomes, this is going to be terrible, and I don't know how I'm going to get through it. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that raises an interesting point in terms of what we saw in our Christmas Eve service. Because we were surprised by the people who came to the Christmas Eve service in a good way. I mean, we're very happy. Whoever, geez, let's be honest. If anybody ever shows up, you and I throw a party. But the thing of it is, is that, um, and I remember one person in particular saying, I said, oh, I'm so glad to see you. And she said, I came here for a few moments of peace. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, you know, that's what we do in our Christmas Eve services. We try to create an environment that is pretty different than what we normally do. There's no discussion. There's just, it's basically 40 minutes of meditation and peace. At least that's what we hope we create. Yeah. And... Um, Yeah, I think I think the people that showed up, for the most part, were people that had a sense that that's what they need. They really needed that on Christmas Eve. Yeah, that we need to we need a break from all of this for a few minutes. Yeah, yeah, just give me to step outside of the noise. Yeah, which is why we do the service the way we do it. Yeah, I mean that's exactly why we do it. I mean. There's also logistical. There's also just a practical side to it, where we can't we can't compete with a big Christmas show. We can't. We're not going to have llamas and goats and giraffes and things walking down the aisles. I've got a lot of hope though, because our friends the Wilsons are going to soon have goats on their property, and I'm I'm right. expecting Anne will bring some of her pets yep. next year. So the play, the 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 pageant or the play, uh, 2019's our year. Yeah, 2019's the year for live nativity scene. 
I guess Nora will be too old to play baby Jesus by that point. Yeah, we'll have to find somebody. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, so we've talked about two groups. Mm-hmm. We have talked about those who have high hopes and experience disappointment. And we talk about those who have kind of the expectation of disappointment. Right, right. Or the expectation of just difficulty and hardship. Right. What would you uh, What would you say to these groups? I mean, we're in the aftermath now. So, you know, I think there's kind of two questions here. There's what do we do in the aftermath of this to take care of ourselves and to try to restore some sense of balance uh, and, and to, you know, sort of get our, our identity back a little bit. I think that's kind of something that gets lost in the mix. And then, um, how do we, and then question two would be, how do we move throughout 2019 in such a way as to prepare for the next time that we're going to, it's not just the holidays where we experience hardship, right? It can happen at any moment. So how do we live in such a way as to prepare for, Um, either unexpected challenges or expected challenges? Well, I mean, I don't know if my way works for anybody, but I would say my way really worked for me this year. Mm -hmm. So in 2016, as most people know, my So are you you addressing the um, preparation question or the dealing with the aftermath question? Both and. Okay. Okay, so as most people know, in 2016, my family of origin kind of blew up. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, so 2017 and 2018 have the unique challenges for me in terms of really being able to enjoy the holidays. Um, And so I I can speak from my own experience here. I really enjoyed 2018. And the reason I did was because... The whole year or the holidays specifically? Uh, the holiday specifically and the whole year. Okay. And I think it is because I took proactive action for my own sense of contentment. Okay. So part of what has come out for me uh, from 2016, as I've learned as I have gotten help for myself, is I have learned that I have not been very good at paying attention to what um, brings me joy. Okay. And so this year, in 2017, I have practiced that as almost like a discipline, paying attention and then taking action. And so that action just sort of was able to spill over into the holiday season all of which was completely intentional on my part. Like, I learned this was a weakness. This came out of my own family dysfunction. I stopped feeling like a victim and took responsibility for my own joy. Mm -hmm. And having practiced that for a little over a year from my own personal work, The thing that I did in the holiday season is I said, I am not going to give the holiday season permission to disrupt what works for me. And it's really simple things. Such as? Such as uh, I didn't give up on my workout routine. Mm -hmm. Uh, Dad and I have, um, or Pete, my husband and I, 
uh, have made uh, a decision that on the nights where I'm not here at North Star, we play a board game every night. Okay. We didn't give up on that just because we had packages to wrap, gifts to buy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, In short, you have some routines that are seemingly simple, but they bring, I would guess they don't, it's not just that they bring joy to your life, though that's important, but it's also stability and and a sense of continuity from moving from one day to the next and one week to the next and one month to the next. And I think that everybody needs some structure in their lives. Yeah. Beyond just, I get up yeah. in the morning and I go to work. You know, yes. like work provides a certain, but you need some you need some routines and some things, and that's gonna that's gonna vary from person to person. Um, and what Dad and I had discovered is we didn't was this was a a, a family thing for Dad and I. Mm-hmm. We had been pretty bad at scheduling in playtime. Okay. Yep. Yep. So yep. we scheduled in playtime that was not dependent on anybody other than us. Yeah. Nobody else had to be available. Right. I didn't have to get disappointed if I wanted to invite somebody over to do blah, 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 and they said no. It didn't depend on them. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and, you know, if Dad hadn't wanted to play with me, um, I would have taken the responsibility to figure out a different way to play. Yeah. Because I'm responsible for that. This is my life. So... Um, in a, in, in unhealthy family systems, sometimes it does take you 60 years to figure this out. And that's how long it took me, but that's okay. I figuring it out. So you've got some structure and some routine and specifically part of that is play. So you've got, and I think there's more to it than that. You guys have been very intentional with your eating lately. Yep. And so you're taking care of your bodies. You've got your gym, you've got your eating, you and you've got your play. And I think that's those are three big areas. Eating is a big area, and taking care of the body is a big area, and play is, is something that's important. I think... Um, and my spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. which have always been something that I really... I, I've been pretty faithful to that for a long time. Yep. But um, even in the last two years, I continue to tweak that for what really is actually helpful for me, not what, for what somebody told me you it were supposed be. to do. Yeah. 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 So that too. Um, I think uh, Brittany and I are in the process of figuring out what those things are for us as a couple, mm-hmm. and we haven't um, we haven't fully decided on it. One of the things uh, uh, is intentional uh dinner time together Mm -hmm. you know like sitting down as a family right um which is adorable right now now that Nora's in a high chair and having her salads and throwing them everywhere that's hilarious um but then also like using that as intentional conversation time you know so that we don't sort of lapse into just like task mode all the time or distracted living right um, how, however, one of the things that we have done, we, we found that for a while we weren't seeing our friends often enough. Mm-hmm. And part of that's just having a new baby and stuff. But, uh, we have some good friends who live right around the corner 
and um, um, and and we both have uh, uh, so we were, we part we were part of kind of a group of 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 friends, right? Uh, most of which have moved away, um, and so we were trying to figure out. Okay, we're all we have all experienced loss now, right? And how do we? Uh, make sure that we're more intentional about friendship, knowing that everybody, you know, that, that, you know, six or eight people left our lives, right. you know, right. So we do Sunday nights together. Mm-hmm. And so we have them over. Um, and we make, uh, we make our friends dinner and then, and we talk and then sometimes uh, watch a, watch a show. But um, I, I find that, um, you know, that's really our sense of, uh, we have very in-depth marital conversations, mm-hmm. very honest conversations. Um, it's really our, um, you know, it's very, like, important community time for us. Right. And I find that talking with another couple about your marital issues is uh, actually very uplifting yeah. for me. Yeah. In a, in a weird way, it sounds like it would be depressing, but it's not. Like, mm-hmm. it feels like solidarity, I think. Right. Um. And so I would say, like, having some intentional community, and I, I think, I wish maybe we had, in some ways, I wish we, we did we, we did more of it, but I'm really grateful for what we do have and what we have done and accomplished with, with these particular friends. And I think it's a huge part of our, our structure and our stability and... Um, and our in our overall health is is being able to sit down and have this time where we really go into the nitty gritty of what life is actually like behind the scenes. Right. Well, you know, you know, if you think about it, you've really seen Dad and I create traditions as around friends as much as families. Right. You yeah. know, you see Gene and I do Cookie Day. You know. Uh, so we have a lot of... Well, and I saw you do that intentionally with your friends, you know, like you guys had your bridge nights and you, you yeah. had, you know, you've always been pretty good about having regular time with, with friends, yeah, which is a very sustaining thing. And it doesn't, you know, I don't want people listening to this who, who aren't married to feel like this isn't an option. I mean, this is, this is something that applies regardless of whether you're talking about married couples or singles or a combination thereof. I, I mean, I think you need other people in your life who you sit down with and you don't default to sports or whatever, or even politics, you know, which feels so important right now. But I mean, I think you need to be getting into the nitty gritty interpersonal stuff in order to get some of the benefit from that. Um, yeah. And I want to add a comment to that because, um, you know, being married for 40 years, um, sometimes I can take for granted the companionship of having a partner. Yep. Uh, but what I can also speak to is the conflict that comes from having a partner who has a different level of desire for play or free time or conflict about how that looks. Right. And, and that's the other thing I've had to navigate, too, and I encourage us all to do, whether we're single or married, is take responsibility for your own joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it's okay to do things by yourself. It's okay to 
find somebody to do something with. I've uh, one of my things that I'm doing this year is uh, fulfilling a lifelong bucket list item to um, take pottery classes. Can you see Dad taking a pottery class? I cannot. I don't think so. Um, but um, my friend Jean and I are going to do it, and um, I think it's really going to be a blast. And, um, you know, I chose that for me. Yep. And if none of my friends had wanted to do it, I would have gone by myself. So yep. that's just... That I, I guess that's my tagline um, that I'm really choosing to live by. Find more things and more. that bring you joy, um, regardless of whether or not. I mean, there's a couple skills there that you have to have. One is you have to be willing to go out and do something by yourself. Yeah, which is um, that's a muscle that uh, I found in my life, and I, I think um, during the period of my life where I was younger, unattached, more anxious, more insecure. It was very hard for me to even like go to the grocery store. Yeah. You know, just because I didn't want to be in public alone. Yeah. And I think that's a muscle that you have to learn how to flex slowly. Yeah. Well, and you know, I, you know dad and I got married when we were like seven. Right. So. Yeah. So you never had to, you never had some of those problems of like adult life on your own. Yeah. I had a lot of uh, other problems related sure. to being married at seven. Abs- absolutely. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, and and uh, I just think I think that being able to take responsibility for yourself, carving out niches of what you need, owning it and doing it means that when you show up for the family celebration, you're coming. You've got something to bring to the table. Yeah, but to back up for a second, because I I want to finish that thought. Um, what helped me get out of that place was uh, starting was doing. Uh, biting off manageable chunks of things, mm-hmm. you know, to do, to work up to slowly going out and do th- doing things by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not like the first thing I did was go see a movie by myself, which is really one of the most intimidating things to think about doing by yourself. But it was like going to Chipotle, you know, where you can go and you get your meal quick and you can eat it quick and you can get out of there. So you spent 10 minutes in public by yourself. Right. right. And you realize it's not as scary as you think. Right. And I think those are the kinds of things that you can do to build up that muscle of going out on your own. And then once you've built that up a little bit, then you can think about doing some of these other things that maybe would bring you joy and you can't get anybody else to do it with you, but you feel confident enough to go do it by yourself. Which brings me to another point that I think has been more true for me lately and been very helpful is... Sometimes I wonder if we put so much pressure on ourselves as it relates to our traditions or our family system of origin because we're doubling down on trying to find something in our past rather than being super intentional in our present about finding finding joy and trying new things and getting out of a rut and changing your environment that that really helps, and and I I believe that many of us, you know, get into a routine, and all it's really that is more coping than it is compelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether that's anxiety, uh, low grade depression, lack of self confidence, whatever it is, uh, but I think showing up for events where you've come, like I said, 
you've 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 broadened your lens of what the world is about is good and important. Yeah. You show up your better self. Yeah, so I think the bottom line is so we we started talking about two groups, those who sort of expect the best but get the worst and those who sort of expect the worst and maybe they get it, maybe they don't. It's hard to say. Sometimes our expect sometimes when you expect the worst, you set yourself up for having a more negative experience than you otherwise would have. But I, you know, I think people who've experienced so much of that disappointment, I wouldn't want to try to say like, you know, you could avoid that with just a mindset change, you yeah. know. But so we've got these two groups and, you know, I think uh, largely uh, your thoughts have been if you are building into your life the things that bring you joy, but also things that bring you structure and stability and things that take care of your ment- mental and physical health, um, of which joy is a, is a piece and a component. And I think the piece I threw in was uh, the community piece. Yep. Um, that doing these things throughout the year both prepare you uh, for the hard times that are going to come, whether it's the holidays or not, and um, help you return to form if something's yes. gone really awry. Yes. I have one other thing, too, okay. that I think goes across the board for everybody. Um, one of the things that was a really bad habit in my family uh, growing up is that um, my mother would um, ruminate on post-holiday uh, critiques. And um, I really was my mother's confidant, and so I would hear them. And um, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, you know, I had a brother. Like she was critiqued, or I mean, she would critique what went on at Christmas, like okay. when when my brother, who was in recovery, showed up and how he looked and right. So what she his would kind of do like a post holiday sort of rundown of her disappointments. Yeah, or or concerns, or you know, okay. A particular daughter-in-law might have set her off, or something. Whatever it was, okay. Uh, that just wasn't ob- obvious. Whether whether my dad's you're... gift was whatever my dad's gift was, or you okay. know, whatever. There was always this ruminating, critiquing, and implied judgment, and. Um, one of the things that my support system has taught me is to really back away from doing that kind of ruminating or even judging other people's experience. Mm-hmm. And um, man, has that really helped too. So I think sometimes fam- you come together, you see your diversity as a family, and it's sort of a natural thing to comment on it and to notice it, which is normal. But I think that there's a magic line, which is invisible, um, that moves to judgment. And the judgment piece inevitably, as I have been taught recently, is... When I go into that place, what it's doing is showing where I'm insecure more than anything else. So 
I'm really trying to work on my insecurity starting there rather than through the judgment piece. Because you can do this faux intimacy thing of sharing what you're against Mm -hmm. and triangling and creating conflict that way. So that's a new skill that I'm working on. And I'm I'm, I'm quite... I'm quite delighted with it. Good. Yeah. All right. I think that's about all I have. Yeah. I mean, Is that I think it for that you? does it for me. Okay. I think we've done the post-holiday wrap-up without judgment, criticism, hopefully or this correction. Hopefully this is uh, helpful or useful in some way. Um, if not, keep coming back. Um, so by this point, you'll start hearing the closing music, which is provided by, I'm not going to torture you with it, Blue Dot Sessions, which can be found on the web at sessions.blue. If you, if you have somehow stumbled upon this podcast by the magic of the internet, uh, you can learn more about us and what we do at www.northstarcommunity.com. We really appreciate you listening. Um, we hope you had a really good holiday season. If you didn't, you're not alone. There's lots of people who didn't. And um, stay tuned as we uh, continue to explore different topics of faith and recovery. Um, In particular, we've got a a message recap that's going to be upcoming uh, next week, uh, which is going to deal with um, our relationship to ourselves, our intimate relationships and community, and um, how these things all work together in our lives. So stay tuned for that. Again, I'm Scott. I'm Teresa. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.